Good morning. I appreciate you guys. It's not really your choice, but I appreciate your uh, patience and indulgence in allowing me to uh, preach from the floor. I'm having a bout, pretty severe bout, with uh, sciatica. Now, I don't know if you know much about sciatica, but it's really not that big of a deal. It just hurts when you're sitting down and when you stand up and when you walk or when you're laying down. Uh, when you get into a car, when you get out of the car. But other than that, I mean, it's no big deal. I don't know what all the fuss is about it, but uh, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, this too shall pass. You know, I, I've said that phrase a lot, and I truly believe it. This too shall pass. But I saw a meme the other day that um, that kind of helped me qualify that in a really useful way. It says, this too shall pass. It'll pass like a kidney stone, but it will pass. <laughs> So if uh, we've been there, too. So uh, uh, anyway, um, I, I hope you've had a chance to look over the bulletin a little bit and uh, look at some of the announcements that we have uh, coming. I just want to draw your attention to the barbecue that will be in just a couple weeks. There'll be more announcements and more details. But the basic thing is mark it on your calendar, March uh, 23rd, and uh, and be thinking about the appetite that you can bring. <laughs> but also the food that you can bring and the people that you can bring with you. We want this to be truly a, an event that uh, incorporates our community, our neighbors, the people in our circle of, uh, of influence. And so please be making plans. March 23rd, 6 p.m., there will be more details about the specifics of food following. Also, don't forget that next Sunday or Saturday night, I guess, early Sunday morning, is when we um, have the um, uh, daylight savings time starting. And it's in the spring, so we spring forward. And so if you don't change your clock or you don't remember, you'll be really late. Uh, <laughs> we're about an hour late, so um, please uh, make that adjustment. Uh, we, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark and seeing different ways that Jesus is Lord. Uh, Jesus is Lord. Thank you. Uh, in the way that he has taught and he's Lord in the way that he has exerted his power over nature. We've seen him do a couple healings. Uh, last week, Paul uh, shared a message uh, from the first part of chapter five of Mark where Jesus demonstrated his power over the demons and he restored an individual back to his life. And um, in today's text, actually deals with two stories. Uh, this is a literary technique that was somewhat common in uh, ancient days, and uh, it's called sandwiching, where you start with one slice of bread. You start with part of the story, and then you stick some meat in the middle, and then you end up with a continuation of that first story. And so the authors would do this to try and help us see some similarities and connection. And as we walk through this text, I think you'll begin to see you might not have put these two situations together in, in the same way that uh, that we're going to do today. But uh, but but I think by the time we get done, you'll see why Mark has organized the book in this particular fashion. So um, we're going to begin walking through the text. Let me see if I can. I think I'm. Oh, we've got a. OK. This one more better. <laughs> okay, thank you. All right. Perfect. 
So Mark chapter 5, if you want to follow along in your Bible, on your device, or you can just follow on the screen, we're going to kind of walk through this text, uh, make some comments, and then I'm going to uh, make some observations and applications at the end. Remember when uh, last week when Paul preached, Jesus had gotten in the boat. We talked about the storm the week before. They got to the other side, and on the other side, which was non-Jewish land, Jesus had a confrontation with the people of the community and w- with this particular individual that was living in the in, in the cemetery area. And uh, and so now the text begins with them returning back to the western side of the Sea of Galilee, to the Jewish side. This is the area where Capernaum, Jeru- uh, Nazareth, and the area where he grew up is. So he's returning back home for all intents and purposes. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him at the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. Now, with our understanding of Jesus' relationship with the Jewish leaders, we're getting ready, or we would prepare our minds to see a fight. The Jewish leaders have already decided they wanted to kill Jesus. The Jewish leaders were not very favorable and not inclined to appreciate the work that Jesus was doing. They saw him as this young upstart that came to cause trouble. And so when we begin the text and we see that the leader of the local synagogue, who very well might have known Jesus when he was growing up or at some point in his life, when he arrives, we expect fireworks. But when he sees Jesus, he falls at Jesus's feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her, heal her so that she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around. Jairus is the leader of the synagogue. He is a male, and he is named. This is striking because Mark doesn't really tell us the names of a lot of people in the book. He tells us the names of the apostles, But he really doesn't tell us the names of the people that Jesus healed or the people that he worked with. The fact that Jairus is named is one clue, one part of this sandwich that Jesus, that that Mark is kind of uh, beginning to build. He was an important man that had a certain level of authority. I mean, he wasn't the ruler of the temple, but he was the ruler of this synagogue. And even though he might have had this prejudice against Jesus, his daughter's dying. And what's interesting is that when you find yourself in trouble, you don't really care where the help comes from. And he was willing to put his pride aside and beg at Jesus' feet for him to go put his hands on his daughter so that she could live. We would expect Jesus to say no. You little rotten scoundrel, why are you coming to me now? But Jesus says, yes, I'll go. And then all of the people gathered gathered around. And, and, and you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you watch boxing or, 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 or those kinds of events, but, but you know when the boxers enter the ring, they're crowded around by their little uh, uh, um, entourage of, of supporters and the trainers, and they're rubbing on the, the, the shoulders, and they're encouraging them, and you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. 
And then other people are just there. They're, they're kind of there waiting for a fight. <laughs> they're wanting to see what's going to happen. We don't know what the crowd is doing, but they're crowded around and they make their way together to head to Jairus's house, which I, which isn't going to be far. This isn't a, an extremely large city. And, and so we're waiting to see what happens. And then all of a sudden, Mark brings in the middle part of the sandwich, a totally unrelated, at least it seems, story. He says a woman in the crowd had suffered with with constant bleeding for 12 years. This is the kind of bleeding of a feminine nature for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors and over the years had spent everything she had to pay them. But she'd gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. To, to our modern ears, this sounds like a medical and personal nightmare. Twelve years. Um, I've been dealing with sciatica for... Nine days. <laughs> and I'm I'm here to tell you that um, I'm ready for it to be done. But it's not really up to me, is it? Those of you and others of us that have struggled with chronic illness. You know how that weighs on you. Just it's ne it, it never goes away. It's always there. And, and this was. And I don't want to be too graphic, but just to be honest with the text, this was light years before the invention and development of feminine hygiene products. This was bad for this young lady. She had lost all her money. She had lost hope. She, I'm sure, had gotten a second and a third and a 20th and a 50th opinion. Don't imagine that those 12 years were just her sitting around saying, well, maybe I'll get better. I, I would imagine she tried every single possible remedy. The Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish writings from earlier days, they had at least 11 prescriptions or cures for Feminine bleeding. One of them was to drink a goblet of wine containing a powder made from rubber, alum, and garden crocuses. Another was to take a dose of Persian onions cooked in wine, and then as you drink it and eat it, shout, Arise out of your flow of blood. Others say that if you got scared, kind of like our remedy for hiccups, that that would scare it out of you. One said, carry the ash of an ostrich's egg in a certain type of cloth for so many days. Well, we might be tempted to think those people back then, they didn't know any better. I received a text this week. From a friend and a brother, I'm not going to tell you who and where, 
Says he was really sorry to hear about my sciatica. Said what cured me was this recipe, homemade, homeopathic, fast for three days, take a clove of garlic and mash it up, mix it with honey, and that will cure you. Well, I tried. (laughs) In one of those moments of desperation, you just try anything. I was trying icy hot, and I was trying hot icy, and I was trying anything you could imagine. Twelve years. I've been told the bad cases of sciatica maybe a month, two months. Twelve years. But you know, it also meant 12 years of bleeding, 12 years of pain, 12 years of futility, 12 years of infertility. And you remember those stories in the Old Testament in the ancient days when, when women would cry out to God because they couldn't have a child. For 12 years, This young lady or middle-aged lady, we think she was probably younger, had no hope of having a child. So in addition to fertility, feeling like a failure as a woman in her day. But that's not even the beginning of her problems. Because on top of all of that, the religious instruction of her day said that she was to be shunned as an outcast. See, if a woman had a similar type of situation that she would make known today, she would be hugged and loved by the women of this church. The men and the elders might put their hand on her shoulder, an appropriate touch, To pray for her. When she would come to church, she would be greeted warmly. And when you have the meet and greet in just a minute, someone would shake her hand and and tell her how much they're so sorry and they're praying for her. And she would sit in her favorite chair, the, the chair that she always sits when you're in the fellowship hall. Or if she's in the auditorium, she would sit in that favorite favorite place in the on the bench. But this lady couldn't do any of that because she couldn't go to church. Her disease made her unclean. And anything she touched became unclean. And any person she touched became unclean. She could have no contact with her family. No one could use the chair that she sat on. She couldn't go to church or the synagogue. She couldn't go to the market. It's very likely if she was married by now... Her husband would have left her. And if she had children, they've been farmed out to live with someone else. For 12 years, she had no life. Because of this disease. One author describes her condition as walking pollution. Her disease made her an unclean 
person. And so she heard about Jesus. We don't know what she heard, but most likely that he was a miracle worker. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Now, I don't know how you imagine this scene in in your mind. I've seen a couple paintings where it shows Jesus and the woman and there's a lot of space and distance. But I think a little closer. Oh, I'm looking for the picture. All right. Just a second. There we go. I think this painting depicts it. It's kind of hard to even see the woman, isn't it? But if you look right there, that's her. And see her hand? And she's reaching up. She's sneaking up among the crowd to somehow touch his clothes. Because immediately when she touches Jesus, she's healed. And if you're her, what do you do? You just pull back your hand and you meld and disappear once again into the crowd. She had some idea that maybe his power would be able to heal her. There were superstitions in the ancient days that if you touched something that touched a healer, that would have power to heal you. If you touched the shadow of where a healer walked, that shadow would heal you. If you had some sort of item and clothing item, then that would heal you. So she's going on this superstitious idea that all I have to do is just touch his coat or touch his robe. And immediately the bleeding stopped. She could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. The word condition in Greek means a whip, a lash. She had been cured of that what had been punishing her repeatedly for 12 years. So her plan to disappear doesn't work because Jesus immediately realized that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and said, who who touched my robe? And his disciples said, well, look at everybody around. Take your pick. Have you ever gone to Walmart on good uh, on Black Friday and then ask who, who touched me? <laughs> the question is who hasn't? But she didn't come forward, so he kept on looking, and then it dawns on her that she's not going to get away with it. As he keeps looking, the the parade has stopped. He's not moving. He's looking around. And finally, the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. 
She had stolen power from Jesus. She had made him unclean with her touch. She had fouled a clean rabbi. And now he knew. And she was afraid that she was going to have to pay the consequences, whatever those might have been. But Jesus doesn't call her out to humiliate her. Jesus doesn't call her out to take her to task. Jesus calls out to her to say, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. As far as I can tell, there's not a single place in Scripture where Jesus refers to one particular individual or one woman as daughter. She's still an unnamed woman. But Jesus, if you can imagine his face, would be smiling as he lifts her up and perhaps puts his hand under her chin and raises her head to look at him. And as he says, you are well, go in peace. You can see the smile and the compassion just oozing from his very being. And Jesus reminds her that she is no longer outcast. She is no longer marginalized, but now she is welcomed back as one of God's very own chosen people. That she also is a daughter of Abraham. And Jesus has returned this woman to life and to her family and to the opportunities of her future. After 12 years, perhaps now she could have a child and she could have the home that she's wanted for so many years. It's a powerful story. And just as we kind of get lulled into thinking about her, all of a sudden we remember, oh, wait, <laughs> There was this daughter of Jairus that was dying. And the messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. And again, his name, Jairus, his position, leader of the synagogue, his standing. And they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Now, now, if you're Jairus, what are you feeling right now? In a very small way, it's kind of like what you feel when you're at a stoplight at an intersection in Miami. And you're not the first or second car. There's one or two cars in front of you. And you're just waiting for the light to turn green, either the turn light or the straight to go straight. And the person in front of you decides to be a do-gooder. And calls over the homeless person that's begging for food or money. Calls them over and rather than just handing them a Snickers bar or handing them some money, they want to talk to this person. And they begin this lengthy interchange while then the light turns green. And then the light turns yellow. And then the light turns red again. And you haven't moved because you're waiting for this do-gooder to get out of the way. And you think, it's fine to do good, but 
Do it on someone else's clock. Do it in the other lane of traffic, not mine. Jairus must be at the end of his patience. Because if Jesus wouldn't have messed around with this woman, this unclean woman, this unnamed, destitute, poor woman, his daughter might be alive. But Jesus overhears the conversation and tells Jairus, don't be afraid. And we would also probably add anger, frustrated, vengeful. Just have faith. Every time I read this verse, I can't read it without hearing Steve Perry and Journey in the background saying, don't stop believing. Don't be afraid. Keep on believing. You believed in me at one time. Keep on. Then Jesus stopped the crowd, wouldn't let them go on with him into the house. Peter, James, and John. They come into the home. Jesus saw how much commotion and weeping and wailing there was. He goes inside. Why is all this commotion taking place? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. That brings a little bit of laughter. And ridicule, he makes them all leave. He takes the girl's father and the three, and the mother and the three disciples. And he holds her hand. She's dead. And Jewish tradition says that you don't touch a corpse because that will make you unclean. For the second time in just a matter of minutes, Jesus is putting himself in a position where he is going to become unclean. Didn't need to hold her hand. He could have healed her with a voice, with a word. Takes her hand, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, 12 years old. Oh, that's how long the woman was sick. As long as this girl has been alive, 12 years is how long the unnamed woman had been struggling. She stood up and began walking around. They were overwhelmed and amazed. And Jesus gave him strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. Then he told them to give her something to eat. I think part of what Mark is trying to do here and what Jesus is trying to do is to show Jairus what a disciple looks like. A disciple is someone who hears and then acts on faith. The woman, the unnamed destitute Unclean woman becomes an object lesson for Jairus to say, see, this is what a disciple looks like. You don't have to have male gender. You don't have to be named. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to have wealth. What you need is faith. And this woman has it. 
Be like her. So, a couple observations. Jesus cares about all people when they're hurting, no matter whether they're, no matter what their background, their history, their condition. Doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, famous or not. You know, the woman and Jairus couldn't be any more different. Named versus unnamed, important versus unknown, moderately wealthy versus broke, socially connected versus socially outcast. Yet they both approached Jesus in their desperation. No matter what your situation is, Jesus cares. No matter what you feel on the inside, Jesus cares. Jesus is willing to be ridiculed and Jesus is willing to risk, risk his reputation for you. And as a church of his followers, we should be willing to do the same. We would be the church that welcomes people that other churches say, yeah, we don't want you here. We would be willing to risk our reputation to help someone in need. But then secondly, I think it's striking that both Jairus and the woman approached Jesus with imperfect faith. Jairus approached Jesus out of desperation. We don't think he really wanted to follow Jesus. He just needed help. And we would tend to discount people that show up at church or want to talk to a minister or want to become affiliated with a group because they're down on their luck and they need a hand. And we would tend to minimize that request. But Jesus doesn't. He says, you know, if your faith is at a point where the only thing you can do is get near to God because you're in the middle of this I can't help it and I don't know where to go phase in your life. Come on. I can work with that. The, the woman's imperfect, imperfect faith is demonstrated in her, 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 her desire to, to, to live out some sort of superstitious kind of a thing. And Jesus says, you know what? I can work with that. I can work with that. I will honor that little bit of imperfect faith that you might have. You know, I've known a lot of people that have failed to reach out and touch Jesus and connect with the church because they didn't have a perfect faith. And they've been accused of reaching out to Jesus. Oh, you're just doing that because you're in trouble. Well, yeah. <laughs> Why else would I go? Or they don't have their understanding of Jesus just right. Well, no, you really can't be baptized yet because you need to understand the Trinitarian doctrine of the eschatological end times. And both of these individuals approach Jesus with imperfect faith. And then the last point is that Jesus will accept you with your imperfect faith, but he doesn't want to leave you there. He allowed the woman to approach him, but then he spent more time than the second it took to heal her. He spent more time saying, daughter, I want a relationship with you. Don't take the money and run. I want a relationship. I want to include you back into God's family. Jesus takes time with Jairus to say, Jairus. 
I want your daughter to be well. But I also want you to know what it looks like to be a disciple. And that's why I'm putting you on hold. When you think it's the stupidest idea in the world. I want you to see. And I want you to feel. What this woman is going through. And so let me just encourage you. If you feel like you're at the end of your rope, reach out to God. If you feel like you're playing this game where on the outside you look great and no one could really tell, but inside you're bleeding, reach out to God. God will accept whatever imperfect faith you might approach him with. Because what's most important to God is building a relationship with you. And we would love to take that imperfect faith and build it into a vibrant faith that is lived out in the life of this community. We're going to sing a song in just a second. Brother Cher will be up front, one of our elders, to receive your prayer requests and to pray with you and for you. Just keep in mind the image of the woman desperately reaching out. And that's the image where all of us are also reaching out to Jesus. There is power in our touch as we reach out. And there's power as Jesus also reaches to touch us. Let's stand and sing.